Hi again, folks. Good to have you with us today. You've tuned into NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast, and I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about selecting and screening tenants, and today we're going to look at the other side of that coin and talk a bit about how tenants select properties. Or to put it another way, the factors that make properties in Japan attractive to tenants. Naturally, some of these factors are similar to what you may, may be used to in other countries, but in some cases, the things which make a particular type of property attractive to a particular tenant profile here in Japan could be quite different depending on location, size, rental price, and a host of other factors. So it's best not to make any casual assumptions when shopping for your investment property because you may find that making a mistake here could be a bit costly. So if you'll recall, we've mentioned in the past that properties that are primarily investment properties here, meaning smaller, older buildings that cater mainly to low income earners and generate a higher uh, rental return, are always priced based only on the rental income earning capacity. What this means in practice is that if you've purchased a property that for one reason or another is harder to populate, meaning if it's not easy to find tenants for that property, or if for some reason the rental income that property is generating becomes lower than it was when you first purchased it, which often happens for various reasons, its resale price will most definitely drop significantly as well. Now, if you're purchasing upmarket, meaning family-sized properties and or newer properties located in attractive neighborhoods, attractive buildings, you may be able to sell to an owner-occupier as opposed to an investor, in which case cash flow potential wouldn't be a huge issue and the price will be based more on property market fundamentals at that particular location and that particular time. If you're buying an older, smaller property though and aiming for higher cash flow, that property is very unlikely to be purchased by an owner-occupier and it will be attracting interest only from other investors. And in that case, you may find yourself in a bit of a pickle. To illustrate the point, it might be a good idea to present a case study that something that's happened to one of our clients and it happened due to our mistake as their agent. This was when we were just starting out and that's highlighted to us that we have to get our much tighter in our research and confirmation procedures. What happened was that we failed to confirm one of the most important factors which is absolutely crucial for successful tenanting of properties here. That is walking distance to public transport and not just any form of public transport mind you. In Japan, aside from a few specific cities, it has to be a subway or train station. Buses, trams, unless they're the only form of public transport in town, which again is quite rare, are pretty much meaningless for potential tenants. They overwhelmingly want to be within 10-minute walk to a subway or train station. So in this particular case, a miscommunication between our sales department and the new and inexperienced research analyst resulted in us recommending a property to a client, which we've informed him was a nine minute walk to the nearest subway station, when in fact it was closer to 20 minutes. The property was tenanted at the time of purchase and it was generating nice returns. So no one's actually noticed the problem until six months after purchase, the tenant vacated the property. So we cleaned it up, we fixed a few items that required maintenance and we put it back on the market only to discover that two, three, and finally six months have passed without a single potential tenant applying to lease it, regardless of incentives that we offered, such as reducing the rent, sharing the listing with various property managers, 
offering those property managers a higher commission, and even offering one month of free rent to a potential tenant. All the usual gimmicks that would normally help secure a tenant in a tight spot just didn't work in this case. It also didn't matter that the property uh, profile was otherwise ideal. Top floor, corner units, two directions of airflow, plenty of light, nice layout. None of that seemed to matter. We didn't get a single applicant in over six months. When we finally looked closely at the location, including doing some drive-bys and careful examination of maps of the area, we suddenly noticed our initial error. Now, since it was clearly our mistake, we apologized to the client. We took upon us to pay him back for the six months of building fees that he paid during that vacancy. Uh, we, of course, didn't charge any of our management fees during that time as well. And we went into emergency mode to try and offload the property as soon as possible, since there just wouldn't be any way to amend the situation aside from selling to a potential owner-occupier. Unfortunately, this was one of those clear-cut investment properties. The age and size would mean that anyone who could afford to buy it probably wouldn't want to live in it, considering, again, the age, the location, the lack of a dedicated car parking spot, things that low-income tenants don't mind, but owners, occupiers, again, do. Fortunately, in this case, we did manage to sell the unit to a realtor who was running a short-term stay business in the city, and he felt confident that he would be able to make a buck off it if he priced it right and furnished it to make it a bit more attractive. And we actually managed to get the client his money back with the initial six months of tenancy that he had post-purchase and the only slightly reduced resale price. He did break even, but the lesson has been learned. And since that occasion, we've been religiously checking and rechecking distance to the nearest subway or train station before ever recommending a property deal to a client. So what other factors matter to tenants? Well, it really depends on the tenant profile. Single females, for instance, would avoid ground floor units if their windows or balconies could potentially be peeked into from street level. That is, unless the building is surrounded by a wall or a fence and has a secure keypad entry system installed, which generally speaking is a feature they value dearly for privacy and security reasons again. Um, elderly tenants or single mothers would avoid units that are located at the third, fourth, or fifth floor if the building doesn't have an elevator. Anything beyond five floors, uh, which includes the ground floor, would always have an elevator in Japan, as per building regulations. People who spend a lot of time at home, such as retirees or disabled folk, welfare recipients, would prefer balconies facing south or southeast to avoid dark rooms. And just about everyone would avoid a property which doesn't have a laundry machine area set up, complete with a floor drain, water taps. Some buildings in which most units don't have this feature installed compensate by installing an automated laundromat-type room on the ground floor of the building. But using these machines costs money. So, of course, having the option to do your own laundry cheaply and privately is always preferable. Again, single females being the most picky about this factor as well. Corner units, or generally units located at the very end of a hallway on any floor, are preferable because they've got more air and light, and one can leave their door open without worrying about anyone passing and peering inside. Squarish layouts are preferable to rectangular layouts because they feel more spacey. Um, units with no balconies, although they're quite rare in Japan, are less desirable than ones with. Location within the city itself isn't normally a big issue for securing a tenant as long as the 10-minute walk to subway or train station rule is observed. There are people living in any and all suburbs of any city, so finding a tenant would not necessarily be a problem, but it may affect 
rent and resale prices down the track. Rents can also drop quite significantly whenever new developments are constructed in any area, which unfortunately uh, does happen uh, in the city's most central locations as well. And in a very Japan-specific way, rents and resale prices also drop if it becomes known that any of the units in the building have become populated by organized crime gang offices, which surprisingly isn't as rare as you might think. What else? Houses and larger units, which normally come with a parking spot or two and will be normally leased out to families who have cars, aren't susceptible to that uh, 10-minute walk to subway or train station rule or at least far less susceptible than studio or single-bedroom condo units. And lastly, properties where someone has died, which again isn't such a rare case in a country where the population is rapidly aging and many of your tenants are elderly pensioners. So these properties will require a Buddhist purification ceremony before they can be released. And the next tenant, which will most likely be made aware of the death via the property manager or neighbors, might be a bit hard to find and generally we'll be paying less rent as a rule. So a lot to remember, but all part and parcel of the due diligence process that needs to be done on each and every property prior to purchase. We do this on a regular basis on behalf of our clients, of course, but if you're buying on your own, you may want to revert to this episode before kicking off your Japanese property investment portfolio. As always, please feel free to send us a message or kick off a discussion in the comments On whichever channel you may have found this podcast, we're always happy to talk shop and we will not be charging you for our time on general advice or anything that can be covered via standard email, telephone correspondence. Do feel free to share this episode with anyone who may find it interesting. And if you've got a moment, we'd greatly appreciate again if you could rate this podcast on the iTunes Store, Google Play Store, or wherever else you may have found it. That's it from us today, folks. And until next time, happy investing. (laughs) 